Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Well, we got a month's worth of news in the first week of 2024. The Supreme Court announces that it will hear a case on Trump's ballot eligibility under the 14th Amendment, as President Biden lays out the stakes of this election in the starkest terms to date. Congressman Jamie Raskin is here with his reaction, and he's coming up first. Plus, Maine Secretary of State Shanna Bellows joins me after tossing Trump off the ballot in her state, a decision that is now on hold while these appeals play out. Also today, with just eight days until the Iowa caucuses, I'm going to talk to someone who spends a lot of time in focus groups with Republican primary voters. And later, Wayne LaPierre steps down from atop the NRA, just as his corruption trial gets underway in New York. We'll take a look back at the damage he did and the future of America's gun lobby. Okay. I really believe that sometimes we all just need to acknowledge how insane this moment we're living in really is. Think about it this way. Friday was, of course, January 5th, one day before the third anniversary of the January 6th insurrection incited by the former president. It was also the same day as a major speech by the sitting president about the danger that the former president still poses to democracy. And then on that same day, The United States Supreme Court announced it will hear a case on whether that former president can even be on the ballot because of his role in the insurrection, all in one day. It's also important not to lose sight of how we arrived at this moment and why we arrived at this moment. The Supreme Court is taking up this unprecedented case because of the unprecedented actions of Donald Trump. That's why. And we're going to spend lots of time today talking about the specifics of that case and about the 14th Amendment. But even if the justices do leave Donald Trump on the ballot, his position as the pro-insurrection candidate isn't really in doubt, is it? I mean, take Trump's appeal to the Supreme Court earlier this week. Andrew Weissman, who's going to join me later in the show, tweeted this about that filing. Any normal person would lead this brief by saying, I did not engage in insurrection. But since Trump is embracing that conduct and not condemning it, he relegates that to a later aside. That's exactly the point. The justices very well may leave him on the ballot. We don't know. But Trump isn't even denying the core argument against him. He's not running from the insurrection. He's embracing it. He has called January 6th a beautiful day. He's referred to the rioters as patriots. He has said he will pardon many of them. He's even played a version of the Star Spangled Banner sung by imprisoned insurrectionists at his rallies. Just this weekend, three years to the day since he incited that violent mob, He called on President Biden to release the January 6th hostages, as he called them. And that's exactly the point that President Biden made in his speech on Friday, that this race is between someone who supports what happened that day and someone who does not. That's what it's about. And that contrast should tell the American people what kind of president each of them would be. Donald Trump's campaign is about him, not America, not you. Donald Trump's campaign is obsessed with the past, not the future. He's willing to sacrifice our democracy 
put himself in power. Trump won't do what an American president must do. He refuses to denounce political violence. So hear me clearly. I'll say what Donald Trump won't. Political violence is never, ever acceptable in the United States political system. Never, never, never. It has no place in a democracy, none. You can't be pro-insurrectionist and pro-American. You can't be pro-insurrectionist and pro-American. That's pretty straightforward. So yes, the insurrection was three years ago, but it is not in our past. It is very much a part of our present and our future, depending on what happens. It's already become a centerpiece of the 2024 campaign. Both Donald Trump and Joe Biden are essentially running on January 6th, but in vastly different ways. One looks at the events of that day, the death, the destruction, the literal and figurative attack on the rule of law, and celebrates it. And one is firmly against it. One stands with the Constitution, and one said he wants to suspend it. One supports democracy, and one ignores it. One embraces political violence, and one rejects it. That is really what it all boils down to. And this weekend has served as an important reminder of that. Joining me now is Congressman Jamie Raskin. He led the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump, served on the January 6th House Select Committee, and he is now the ranking Democrat on the House Oversight Committee. It's so great to be here with you this afternoon, and well, Happy New Year to you uh, as well. I, I wanted to start, Congressman. Happy New Year just, to you, Jen. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Well, I wanted to start, Congressman. I mean, it's so important, in my view, to call out the craziness, even when we feel numb to it at times. And when you hear Trump call the insurrectionists hostages, as he's repeatedly done this weekend, going as far as to say President Biden should release them. You were in the Capitol that day. You've spent the last few years working on this. How dangerous is this rhetoric? And what can be done, in your view, to counter these attempts to kind of rewrite history of that day? Well, obviously, it's a major insult and affront to the families of uh, actual hostages still being held by Hamas uh, in uh, in Gaza right now. But look, um, something struck me yesterday. Uh, it was sort of the dog that didn't bark. Um, the Republicans released hundreds and hundreds of hours of TV uh, uh, security tape from mm -hmm. January 6th. They've had months to examine it. They have not come up with a single shot which uh, purports to capture an Antifa fighter or an FBI agent uh, inciting the insurrection. Nothing. Uh, and yet they're still out there spreading their propaganda and disinformation about how it was uh, really Antifa and FBI agents, which, of course, would make it strange to uh, argue that all these people should be released and Trump's going to pardon and then why would he want to pardon all these Antifa fighters? So there's no logic in their presentation. It really is characteristic of what you get from authoritarian and fascist political parties. No, no question. And, and there's no logic really in Trump's argument here other than politics, right? But I mean, he is accusing Biden of being a threat to democracy. And that projection, which you and I both know is crazy and probably everybody watching know is crazy, it's kind of working with his base. How do you combat that? Do, do you need to combat that? Should we all be combating it? Yeah, well, look, um, you know, they've wrecked the Republican Party. When the Civil War started, Lincoln said that uh, insurrection is the negation of the basic principle of 
democratic government, which is the people get to choose their own rulers. Um, and they have ruined the Republican Party. It started as an anti-slavery, pro-freedom, pro-immigration, anti-know-nothing party, and they've reduced it to a cult of authoritarian personality where Donald Trump even yesterday is engaging in what is essentially pro-slavery, anti-union mm. rhetoric, saying that Abraham Lincoln could have avoided the Civil War uh, by, you know, by accepting the so-called Crittenden Compromise, uh, which was a pro-slavery compromise that would have constitutionalized slavery for all time. Um, and this is what they've done to the Republican Party. So it's true he's got this, uh, you know, I'm rubber, you're glue strategy that mm. when uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats call them out for the authoritarian collapse of their party, they say, no, it's you. It's you attacking democracy. And we just have to go out and educate America about what actually has happened and trust in the good common sense of the people that they will recognize in Joe Biden. Um, you know, an honorable public servant who's been devoted to the common good his entire life uh, versus Donald Trump, who is uh, a huckster, a ripoff artist, a compulsive liar and a danger to the republic. A huckster is such a good name. And I think there's no question that speech on Friday was intended to do exactly that. I also, since I have you here, I wanted to ask you about kind of some big news. There's a lot of big Supreme Court news this week, but the big news about the 14th Amendment. And it's understandable, I mean, in my view, I'm sure in yours as well, to be skeptical a bit of the Supreme Court, um, given a number of their rulings. But they have ruled in cases related to Trump, kind of against him in a number of scenarios, including ones about the release of documents, et cetera. How confident are you and should people be that they can be impartial in this 14th Amendment case, given there isn't really historic precedent, but that's the point of them facing it? Well, it's true that the court has ruled a few times against Donald Trump. Uh, the arguments he advances are so outlandish and egregious mm. that even the people on the court who he thinks owe him um, do not want to completely disgrace themselves. And I hope it would be the same way with Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. This is a case of uh, major importance to the future of democracy uh, in America. Um, and the Constitution is clear uh, just like you've got to be 35 in order to be president, just like you have to be a native-born uh, U.S. citizen, even though that's going to disqualify a lot of qual otherwise qualified people like Jennifer Granholm or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Also, you cannot have engaged in treason, and there are, mm. uh, or you cannot have engaged in insurrection or rebellion, uh, and. Uh, there's probably a fewer than a dozen people who have essentially disqualified themselves because of their actions on January 6th. And that's far more morally justifiable than just saying, you know, Maxwell Frost or AOC can't mm -hmm. run for president because they're too young. But these are the qualifications we have. And I hope that the Supreme Court will do their essential job just by reading the text of the Constitution, understanding what the original purposes and meaning are, and then implementing it, because I haven't seen any serious argument uh, advanced that Donald Trump did not participate in insurrection on January 6th. On the contrary, he was really the mastermind and the ringleader of the whole thing. It's so hard to get into Trump's mind. I don't try to do it too often, but it seems pretty clear that he has been 
trying to uh, pressure the court in some ways. I mean, he said um, in the wake of the news, quote, I just hope we get fair treatment. If we don't, our country is in big trouble. I mean, do you hear that as attempts to intimidate the justices or pressure them? Or how, how should we be hearing that? Yeah, I mean, you know, already you can hear in the right wing media about how Justice Kavanaugh owes him and that yeah. they all owe Donald Trump. I mean, that is a a mobster form of justice where it's not important uh, what the law says, but what's important is which judge you know. Uh, and that, of course, is an essential attack on the rule of law and the idea that we're governed by the Constitution as the supreme law of the land. They're just saying, uh, these people who Trump put on the court owe him. Um, you know, I think there's been a, a very coherent argument made already that Justice Thomas needs to recuse himself because mm -hmm. um, he's obviously biased by virtue of his wife's participation in the insurrectionary politics of January 6th and the weeks leading up to it. And uh, in an ideal world, you would have a justice who would be able to recognize that this court does not accept any binding ethics regime where they would turn it over to other judges to determine determine right. whether or not they're acting in an objective way. Thank you so much, uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thanks for having me, Jen. Happy New Year to you. Coming up, I'll ask Maine Secretary of State Jenna Bellows how the Supreme Court's decision to take up Colorado's 14th Amendment case could impact her decision to remove Trump from the ballot. And later, Trump's political calendar and legal calendar are about to collide in a very big way. Andrew Weissman joins me on a high-stakes hearing he's set to attend here in D.C. this week. We're back after a quick break. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday, May 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. The effort to remove Donald Trump from the ballot under the 14th Amendment started in Colorado, but a decision late last month by the Maine Secretary of State certainly upped the pressure on the Supreme Court to act. And life hasn't exactly been easy for Shanna Bellows since she removed Trump from the ballot. Bellows and her family and her staff have faced threats and harassment since making the decision. Her home was even swatted over the holidays, which basically means someone made false emergency calls, prompting a large police presence to erroneously respond to her house. But she stood firm in her decision, which is summed up in her original ruling. She wrote, quote, I am mindful that no secretary of state has ever deprived a presidential candidate of ballot access based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I am also mindful, however, that no presidential candidate has ever before engaged in insurrection. That is the point of all of this. 
Joining me now is Maine Secretary of State, Shenna Bellows. Secretary Bellows, it's so great to see you. Thank you for taking the time. And I just wanted to start with the news that broke on Friday night, with the Supreme Court announcing it will take up the Colorado case. And we're all trying to understand kind of what this means. So help us understand that this is putting your decision on hold, but it's not necessarily binding on your decision, if I understand it correctly. Is it possible that the Supreme Court could rule against Colorado and your decision could still stay in place? Is that in the realm of possible? Good morning, Jen, and thank you for having me. It's a snowy day here in the great state of Maine. Beautiful. So I want to share, it is. Um, so I want to share a little bit about the process. Mm-hmm. Now, in my decision, and folks can read it on the Secretary of State's website, it's 34 pages. I voluntarily suspended the effect of my decision pending the appeals process to Superior Court. Now, the main matter is before Superior Court now, Mm -hmm. and because Mr. Trump appealed last week, as is his due process right under the Constitution. This is the process in Maine. Mm -hmm. The, you know, any registered Maine voter can bring a challenge. The Secretary of State must hold a hearing, issue a decision, and that initiates that process. Now, the Supreme Court taking up the matter of Colorado may impact Maine. Of course, the Supreme Court uh, is the final arbiter in constitutional law. And all of us, every single election official in this country, swore an oath to uphold the Constitution and the rule of law. So the Supreme Court may issue a ruling ruling that impacts Maine. Meanwhile, however, that does not suspend the legal Mm. process here in our state. Mm-hmm. So I had voluntarily suspended the effect of my decision. Uh, and, you know, as we look at deadlines, Maine's presidential primary is March 5th. Uh, the federal requirements, every military and overseas voter is entitled to begin receiving ballots on January 20th. Um, in Maine, we have this really wonderful law where every citizen in our state um, can begin engaging in what we call no excuse absentee voting. Ballots are made available to every Mainer 30 days prior to election day. So that's February 5th. Now, Maine law contemplates what happens if you print a ballot with a candidate who is disqualified after printing or, you know, something else happens. So historically in Maine, you know, there have been candidates when the ballots have been printed, people have been voting. And there's been a tragic um, incident where a candidate might, you know, pass away or they may change their minds Mm -hmm. and some candidates have withdrawn after printing of the ballot. So I shared with the court and it is in the last page of my decision that we are voluntarily suspending the effect of the decision because the election administration moves forward, right? We don't print ballots without a name on them and then people start voting and then we print other ballots. That not That's not how it works. And so, so it's really important that everyone... Yeah, sorry. Thank oh, no, you. no, it's okay. I was just... Because you've said a lot there, which is super helpful information. It sounds like there's a range of scenarios that the Supreme Court could rule. They could rule in a ruling that includes Maine. They could rule one that doesn't include Maine. You're planning for different scenarios. Trump is on the ballot. Obviously, though, if they rule in a way that kicks him off the ballot, there would be an adjustment, I assume. Of course. Yes, we will follow the law in the Constitution, no matter what. And that was what was so important. So I made my decision based exclusively 
on the record in the hearing, the weight of the evidence and the arguments were made. I followed the law and the Constitution, as is my duty. Uh, and that's what election officials do every day across this country. I wanted to ask you, I mean, you are one of many officials who has been who has received threats against you and your family. That's, I'm sure, been very, very difficult. Has that level of vitriol surprised you? I mean, you're part of the main community. You probably know um, a lot of people in your community. I mean, how have you felt personally about that? I was prepared for a strong reaction potentially for people to disagree with my decision. But there are processes for our disagreements under the Constitution and the rule of law, right? Mr. Trump has the right to appeal to courts. If people think that Maine law delegates too much authority to the secretary, there's a process for amendment of the law. I wasn't prepared for the aggressive, abusive, and threatening communications uh, targeting not only me, but members of my family mm -hmm. and people who work for me. I wasn't prepared for swatting. But I will tell you this, now that a week has passed, I believe that that violent rhetoric, right, those threatening communications, they're designed to scare and to silence people. They're designed mm -hmm. to send a message to people that it's dangerous to do their job, to uphold the Constitution. Most people, like the country song, my favorite country song goes, most people are good. And mm. the overwhelming support that I've received, including um, people who tell me, you know, yesterday I was talking to one individual who's in my community and he said, I'm a Trumper, but we're good. And mm -hmm. I think that is really important. We can agree to disagree on candidates and issues, but we're together in community. And really here in Maine, I've been very heartened by the level of support, including with people who disagree with me. That, that is so good to hear. And also, to your credit, you have not been silenced in any way. Uh, but I'm happy to hear that as well. Maine Secretary of State, Shanna Bellis, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. And coming up next, Donald Trump referred to our friend Andrew Weissman as Jack Smith's slimeball boss this week. Guys, does this man look like a slimeball to you? I don't think so. We're going to give Andrew a chance to respond and talk about a lot of legal stuff when he joins me next. We'll be right back. For a very long time, we've been previewing the ways in which Donald Trump's political and legal calendars have been on a collision course. And now it's about to actually happen. Over the next couple of weeks, as the people of Iowa and New Hampshire cast their very first votes of the 2024 election, Trump plans to be in court a lot. On Tuesday, we'll hear oral arguments in a D.C. federal appeals court over Trump's claim of presidential immunity, which Trump plans to apparently attend in person. Two days later, he's also set to attend closing arguments in his civil fraud trial in New York. Then it's back to politics briefly for the Iowa caucus on January 15th. The day after that, Trump is set to go on trial in a second civil defamation case filed by E. Jean Carroll, after the jury in the first case found Trump liable for sexual abuse. And according to the New York Times, Trump wants to attend that trial as well, even though the New Hampshire primary is the following week. Joining me now is someone who knows a lot about all of these things, um, and that is former general counsel at the FBI, Andrew Weissman, one of everybody's favorite legal eagles. So, Andrew, 
I want to just talk about this very high stakes day in D.C. on Tuesday. This hearing and it's this hearing um, in the D.C. appeals court over presidential immunity. It's a big deal. So once those oral arguments take place this week, once they're done, how soon do you expect them to rule? What does the calendar look like on that case potentially? Well, they can take as much time as they want, but there's a data point to suggest that they're going to move very quickly, and that is the schedule that they set to hear this case. Um, this was, in legal terms, really lightning speed. All of the briefing was done over the holidays. They had all full briefing by January 2nd, and then one week later, for this Tuesday, they have oral arguments. So I would be surprised if we do not have a decision within a week or two after that. And the main issue there is I think there's no question that Donald Trump is going to lose on his argument that he um, is somehow absolved of all criminal, possible criminal liability because he was a former president. I think that is a dead loser. The main issue is that currently there is a full stay of the trial mm -hmm. uh, date. And so that was scheduled and it is, technically is still scheduled for March 4th. But the thing I'm keeping my eye on is what happens to that stay? Does the D.C. Circuit do anything mm -hmm. to tighten up any steps that Donald Trump can take after it rules to delay things further or whether they're going to allow the trial court to move forward quickly? Yeah, I mean, as you have raised many times and taught all of us a lot about, I mean, a lot of this is about using legal tactics to delay in pursuit of his goal of delaying right. all of this. And you're out with this great piece on MSNBC.com this morning about the ways in which the appeals court could basically unstick this whole process. So talk us through what that looks like. Sure. So uh, to understand this, as my colleague Mary McCord says, you know, there's something called an interlocutory appeal. Sorry to get into the weeds. Um, but the normal rule in a criminal case is that nothing goes up to an appellate court until the case is over. In other words, until there's a verdict, you have a trial and the jury decides one way or the other what should happen. That's the normal time that there is an appeal. There are very few exceptions to that. And this um, apparently falls into an exception. And I say apparently because it is really not clear that this should have been allowed for what's called this interim or interlocutory appeal. And so it seems pretty clear that the D.C. Circuit is going to talk about that on Tuesday. They actually issued an order to the party saying, please come prepared to talk about a variety of issues that were raised by friends of the court briefs, where this was raised by one of the friends of the court. Mm -hmm. um, um, in a brief about whether this stay um, should be in effect, whether they're allowed to bring this up now. So stay tuned for the discussion on Tuesday about that issue. Oh, that's an interesting, a big thing to watch. It sounds like, okay, now, Andrew, I have to, can't let you go without asking you, because I'm sure you saw that the former president called you Jack Smith's slime ball boss. Anyone who knows you thinks that's insane or anyone who watches you. Uh, but what I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to that. Sure. I don't think there's anything that I can say that hasn't just been better said by the main secretary of state about mm. these kinds of ad hominem attacks. I would sort of separate that into two things. One is the sort of use of adjectives and adverbs. That is not legal argument. That is not a factual mm. argument um, any more than if you say the election was stolen. 
you need to have facts. Um, adjectives and adverbs is not a way of arguing, especially for someone who had been the leader of the free world, mm -hmm. let alone anyone else. And I think that's really important. On the substance, which is to suggest that somehow I am Jack Smith's boss, again, where are the facts of that? I have had zero communications with Jack Smith or his team. They are independent, uh, both within the Department of Justice and certainly for a legal analyst on MSNBC. <laughs> well, that is a very disciplined and graceful response, uh, totally expected from you. Andrew Weissman, thank you as always for joining us. And coming up next, Nikki Haley is still a long shot to win the Republican nomination, but she sure has gotten Donald Trump's attention. Plus, what is the NRA without CEO Wayne LaPierre? We're about to find out. We're back after a quick break. So believe it or not, we are now just eight days away from the Iowa caucuses, and Nikki Haley's path to the nomination is still incredibly narrow. But Donald Trump seems a little bit distressed, a little stressed out about her uptick in the polls. He's out with his first ad attacking her in New Hampshire, and he repeatedly went after her this weekend in Iowa. And that is indicative of the sort of asymmetrical fight in this Republican primary. Well, Trump is able to go after his opponents as hard as he wants— when other candidates go after him, they risk turning off tons of primary voters who have a lot of sympathy for him. Just ask Chris Christie. And take a listen to this voter in a recent focus group talking about how Haley spoke out against Trump after January 6th. I was extremely disappointed in her running for cover uh, and political cover when, uh, you know, the whole January 6th thing happened. I was extremely disappointed because I felt like she was kind of hitching her shining star to Trump. And the, you know, the first sign of trouble, she jumped ship because she didn't want to, you know, die politically. For me, it comes down to integrity and all these people that we're talking about that aren't Trump, I'm treating them as maybe possibly a running mate, but even that's a long shot. For me, I don't think he likes anybody on that stage. Joining me now is Sarah Longwell. She's been conducting focus groups of GOP primary voters and interviewed the gentleman you just heard there. She's the publisher of The Bulwark, the host of the Focus Group podcast, where she talks about a lot of these podcasts, of course, and the executive director of the Republican Accountability Project. Okay, Sarah, so you were talking to a lot of GOP primary voters, more than most people, and you referred in a recent podcast, which made me laugh, to some of them as Nikki Curious. But does she have a real path here? And if so, how narrow is it? What's what's the reality? OK, so here's how a Nikki play would work. We call it the Haley Mary play, right, which is <laughs> she comes in second in Iowa. So if she comes in second in Iowa, she's outperforming expectations and she's beating Ron DeSantis. And then they go into New Hampshire. And the reason that Trump is just a little bit worried about this is that in New Hampshire, she is polling as close to him as anybody is in any state, because New Hampshire is a state tailor made for a lot of undeclared and independents to vote in the GOP primary. And Nikki Haley does much better with those kinds of voters than she does with base voters. And so the one play here is to win New Hampshire. Nikki Haley wins New Hampshire and she shifts the narrative. It would be like what Joe Biden did in South Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly he wins South Carolina and the whole party shifts in his direction. Now, I got a million reasons I can give you why the Republican Party is not like that. And I do not see that scenario mm. uh, repeating itself on the Republican side. But that is the play. It is a, it is a that there's a narrative shift that allows voters in the other early primary states to swing to her. And because 
she would be disrupting sort of one of the things that Trump really has going for him, which is the inevitability narrative. Um, people, he's pulling so far ahead that everybody expects him to be the nominee. And so the theory would be she cracks that inevitability narrative and there's a big move toward her. So you're telling me there's a chance and it's small. Um, so one of the things which you just mentioned and I just talked about and you, you've talked about as it relates to your focus groups is this kind of tricky challenge for Trump's opponents. I mean, including Haley, where nothing really kind of works. I mean, the question that I have for you, and we've talked about this before, is there any argument if, if we were just going back in time that would work against Trump, that would resonate with some of these Republican voters you've been talking to? Or it's just there's never been really a good option from the beginning and there still isn't now. Yeah, it's less an argument and more of a person. I mean, I think mm. that what you're seeing in this primary is just a dearth of political talent among these challengers. Uh, you know, Ron DeSantis, there was a time where there was sort of a big chunk of the Republican Party that wanted, that I would say was move on from Trump, right? They wanted an alternative. And they were very, at the time, DeSantis curious. Um, you know, I did tons of focus groups in the beginning of 2023, listening to Republican voters who were super interested in DeSantis and wanted to see more of him and thought he might be a better alternative to Trump. The problem was that Ron DeSantis turned out to be a lousy candidate. He mm -hmm. wasn't a good politician. He didn't have the requisite political talent. Um, and I think Nikki Haley, the reason that she has been uh, sort of emerged as a, a better alternative is that she is politically talented. Her biggest problem, she's actually got what I would say it's three major problems. One, if you listen to the focus groups, the way they talk about her is they say, I don't hate her. Uh, and so they they kind of like her, OK, but they don't affirmatively, you know, really like her. They say, I don't hate her, which is not the same thing as mm. liking someone. <laughs> the second thing is, is that they don't believe she can beat Trump. There's just when you talk to these Republican voters in these early primary states, they're so sure Trump's going to win. It's there's not even a sense among them uh, that one of these alternatives mm -hmm. could really break through. And that includes Nikki. And then the third problem is and this one is has genuinely surprised me is how many people in the focus groups mm -hmm. actually talk about not wanting to vote for a woman for president. We just did one this week, and this was the most dominant I've seen this, where five out of the seven uh, participants, these are two-time Trump voters, said they wouldn't like to vote for a woman. Uh, they'd rather vote for a man than a woman when it comes to the presidency. Um, and, and that's just a tough thing to overcome. Yeah, that is a tough thing to overcome. Now, before I quickly, before I let you go in our limited time, you did talk to some two-time Trump voters who are now seem to be maybe voting for Biden or open to it, I guess. He's been like doubling down on Friday and of course tomorrow again on the democracy argument, playing up kind of the contrast on January 6th. Is that animating enough for these voters? Is that something in your view the Biden team should be continuing to press and double down on? Yeah, I mean, along with some other issues like abortion, uh, I think mm -hmm. when I talk to Trump voters who are open to supporting Biden or at least not voting for Trump, but that's really the key. One of the main things where they said, never again will I vote for this guy was January 6th, right? There were a lot of voters in the Republican Party who held their nose and voted for Trump twice because they're Republicans. But after January 6th, they said never again. Um, so I think that it is good uh, to talk about January 6th and what Trump did then, because right now Biden is very top of mind for voters like these swing voters. They're not Democrats. Mm -hmm. They don't always love Joe Biden, uh, but they've sort of forgotten what they really hate about Trump. But when mm -hmm. you put Trump front and center for them, they go, oh, yeah, 
I don't want anything to do with that guy. Well, that's some good advice from you. Someone who spent a lot of time with Republican voters they may need. Sarah Longwell, thank you so much. Coming up, my thoughts on the downfall of NRA CEO Wayne LaPierre and the dangerous culture he leaves behind. We'll be right back. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. On Friday evening, Wayne LaPierre, the man who has led the NRA for decades, resigns. The announcement was made amid a whole host of legal troubles, largely of LaPierre's own making. And just as his civil trial in New York was getting underway. Now, to understand all this, it's important to go back to the summer of 2020. New York Attorney General Letitia James sued LaPierre and three other leaders at the NRA, alleging that they violated nonprofit laws and misused millions of dollars in NRA funds for their own lavish lifestyles. And some of these details are pretty blatant. I mean, according to the lawsuit, the NRA spent over a half a million dollars on private flights for LaPierre, including eight family trips to the Bahamas. He had the NRA pay his personal travel consultant more than $100,000 annually for what? Who knows? And he expensed over $100,000 in membership fees for a golf club. The New York AG's lawsuit originally sought to oust LaPierre from leadership, and that's clearly not an issue anymore. But the jurors in this trial will determine if he's liable and how much LaPierre and his associates will have to repay the NRA. Now, while that may temporarily add a bit to the dwindling NRA bank accounts, This is all kind of just the latest in what has been a stream of scandals that have contributed to the steady hollowing out of what was once one of the most influential and feared lobbying bodies in the country. These scandals have taken an acute toll on the NRA. There's no question. If you look back to 2016, the NRA's revenue since then has dropped by 44 percent. Membership has plummeted to 4.2 million after being 6 million just five years ago. And while the NRA filed for bankruptcy in Texas in an attempt to duck the New York lawsuit, insiders tell the New York Times the organization may actually be reaching a point where a legitimate bankruptcy filing is necessary. And although the power of the NRA and William LaPierre are evaporating, it's so important to remember the immeasurable hold that their legacy still has on American life. First, remember the way that the Second Amendment is talked about today was not at all the way it was understood for decades. I mean, the NRA didn't begin as a lobbying arm for gun ownership. It was a marksmanship club founded by union veterans after the Civil War. But in the century that followed, it transformed into a concerted and well-funded effort to recast how the Second Amendment was understood. Just take a listen to a Republican nominated Chief Justice of the Supreme Court talk about the Second Amendment back in 1991. 
This has been the subject of one of the greatest pieces of fraud, I repeat the word fraud, on the American public by special interest groups that I have ever seen in my lifetime. A well-regulated militia, if the militia, which was going to be the state army, was going to be well-regulated, why shouldn't 16 and 17 and 18 or any other age persons be regulated in the use of arms the way an automobile is regulated? To use Justice Warren Berger's language, the NRA, with the help of Wien LaPierre, solidified that fraud eight years later in the direct aftermath of what at the time was the worst school shooting in American history, Columbine. Following that horrific shooting, where two students shot and killed 13 of their classmates and injured 20 other people, Wien LaPierre and other NRA leaders hopped on a crisis call to decide how the organization would handle the situation. And according to the tapes released by NPR in 2021, the NRA was in a panic. They considered canceling their convention that would be held just days later, a few miles away from Columbine in Denver. They even pitched the idea of starting a $1 million victims fund. But ultimately, this is the key piece, the strategy they landed on is the one we have seen from the NRA and its allies ever since, defiance. Despite the urging of the victims' families to cancel the convention, the NRA pressed on despite protest. And NRA President Charlton Heston delivered these words decrying any regulation on gun ownership. We cannot, we must not let tragedy lay waste to the most rare and hard-won human right in history. We will not relinquish it or be silenced about it or be told, do not come here, you are unwelcome in your own land. The strategy became to double down, to never give an inch. And in tragedy after tragedy after horrible tragedy that followed the Columbine shooting, the NRA and its acolytes never wavered from that mission. Even 13 years after Columbine, at Sandy Hook Elementary School, where 20 first graders and six teachers and staff were gunned down, the problem could still never be about the guns. The only way to stop a monster from killing our kids is to be personally involved and invested in a plan of absolute protection. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. More guns. The answer for the NRA and its right-wing allies was more guns, after 20 first-grade children were murdered in their classroom. In the over decade since, with each mass shooting that has become just commonplace in American life, that's still the answers they give. Just listen to the Republican reaction to yet another school shooting that happened earlier this week at a high school in Iowa. I don't support uh, infringing the rights of law-abiding citizens uh, with respect to the ability to, to exercise their constitutional rights. Um, I know these things can be used to try to target things, and a lot of the things that are proposed uh, would not have even prevented any of these things. We could go and take away a certain kind of gun today, and that would make you feel better today. But a week from now, there'd be another shooting. It's just horrible. So surprising to see it here. But... Uh have to get over it. We have to move forward. Get over it. That, those responses you just heard are all courtesy of decades of work by Wayne LaPierre and his once personal slush fund, the NRA. While he's on the way, uh, and while he's on the way out, and the organization he helped build is a shell of what is once, it once was, the damage of their legacy 
lives on in America. Coming up, an exciting announcement about who will be joining me on tomorrow night's show, so stay with us. That does it for me today. I'll be back here tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern when I'll sit down with House Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com.